So we've been focusing in on passage of Scripture, Ephesians 3, two verses, verses 20 and 21. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Maybe you've already got that bookmarked in your Bible because we've been reading it these last few weeks and striving, I do hope, to memorize that and really make it our own, to uh, let it soak into the, uh, the uh, areas, all of the areas of our lives. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus, and this is near the end of a prayer that he is praying and recording for the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul writes, Now to him that is God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, everyone say power, that wasn't everyone, that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If you want to, if you want to sense the power of God, say power with me. Come on, say power. Power. In, uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is recorded just before he ascends back into heaven. He's, he's died, he's resurrected, he's united again with the disciples over a period of 40 days, and he is telling them not to leave Jerusalem, right? He's telling them to remain here so that they might receive a gift from God, a gift that Jesus has promised, a gift that Jesus says is so great, he says this gift that you're going to receive from God, it's better than if I were to remain with you forever. He says this gift that my Father is about to give you, and then in Acts 1.8, he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. He says, wait for what? Anybody have a guess? What is it? Somebody whispered it. That's right. Power! Say power! power. And it wasn't just like uh, a little power. It wasn't, you know, wait around because, you know, God's going to give you some power enough to light a, a nightlight, you know. He says God's going to give you the power that comes through the Holy Spirit. And that power is the word dunamis. Say dunamis. You know what, you know what dunamis means? You should. I just said it's the word power. You should say power, right? What does dunamis mean? It means? Power. Yeah, but it means more than that. It means dynamite. It's where we get our word dynamite. So this wasn't just a little bit of power. This was big power. Now to him, Ephesians 3, 20 and 28, 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power. Everyone say power. power. There we go. Now we can move on. And not only have we been looking at Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, we've been praying the prayer of Jabez. 1 Chronicles 4, 10. And here's what Jabez's prayer uh, was. He says, Oh, that you, he's crying out to God, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory.
territory, that your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. And it says, and God granted his request. Now, we can learn a whole lot from this truth that the Apostle Paul records in Ephesians 3, and from this prayer of Jabez, and when we join the two together, we learn a whole lot more. Let's unpack this. Now to him, the Apostle Paul writes, we must focus on God. That's what we talked about as we began this series. We must focus on God. If we go to any other person or any other thing, the rest of this Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, it's not applicable. Because no other person, no other thing can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. It says, now to him, that is God, the Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And I could keep going on and on and on about this because here's the reality. Sometimes we treat God as if he's just another person or another thing. And when we do that, we don't ask or imagine all that much of God. Oh, God, give me a good day. God, help this food to taste good. That's one of my kids' favorite prayers. God, sorry, I got sidetracked. We've got to focus on God. Amen? The other problem is, when we don't focus on God, it's because we're going to other people or other things. We're turning to other things as a substitute for what only God can do. And we're, we're counting on other people or other things in our lives to fill a need, fill a void, to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine in our own lives. And God is the only one that can. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, we must acknowledge God's willingness to accomplish his will in us. His will in us. His will in us through us. God wants to use us. Could God do what only God can do without you and me? Yeah, absolutely. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. I just said, you know, try to build up your anybody who has insecurity issues. And then I say, God doesn't need you or me. But that's the reality. God is God. If God could not do and fulfill what he wants to do and fulfill without you and me, if he could do it, or if he couldn't do it without us, he wouldn't be God. Who is able, that is God, is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. Seems like a simple one, friends, but we must ask. Yes, we must ask. And that's where Jabez's prayer comes in. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. I wonder how many days pass that we're not asking God to bless us. How many days we just wake up, we jump right into our routine, we go through our day, we end our day without a single word of prayer, without approaching the throne of God's grace, without asking God to bless us in any way, and how many blessings we are missing out on simply because... We're not going before the one that wants to bless us. Indeed, we must ask, oh, that you would bless me 
indeed. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We talked about that last week. We must imagine. Not many of us are, are good at sitting quietly, <laughs> sitting in the stillness, and simply imagining. I said before that um, I recognized few years back that one of the hindrances that I have in prayer, one of the reasons that I often fail to pray, and I'm open about that, sometimes even your pastor fails to pray, is because I don't often see prayer as a productive exercise. It's absolutely wrong. But sometimes I just want to check it off my list I want to go on to the next thing, something tangible, some message that I need to write, some lesson that I need to prepare, somebody that I need to visit with. And God, if I have to stop and pray, and I don't recognize the productivity in that prayer, it hinders me. Anybody else fall into that same trap? We must imagine, what could God do? What does God want to do? What does God desire to do? What does God want to use me and use us to accomplish in the community and in the world around us? What is possible? Maybe a better question. What is impossible with God? Oh, that you would bless me indeed, Jabez prayed. That you would enlarge my territory. Give me more than I could ever imagine. Give me a bigger plate, we said last week. Don't simply take things off of my plate. Maybe God wants to give us a bigger plate. And then we get to this line. According to his power, his dynamite, dunamis power that only comes through the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living and acting in us. Did you know that? I read that in scripture this week. That we have the Holy Spirit in us. Did you know that? Some of you are acting like you're not surprised by that. I've heard that before, I hope. According to his power, we must acknowledge God's power. That's what I'm going to tell you today. We must acknowledge God's power. And Jabez prayed that your hand would be with me. That your hand would be with me. What if we started every day with a prayer much like that? Oh God, that you would bless me and that your hand would be with me today. And sometimes, if we're honest, God's hand being with us is a slap upside the head. Are you with me? What if we were to wake up with that prayer on our hearts and our minds, to call out to God in prayer, oh God, bless me, let your mighty hand be with me. See, friends, we need to pray with power so that we can live with power. Some of us are striving to live with power, but we're failing to pray with power. We're leaving that all behind because I don't see that very productive. But God, I want to go out here and I want to make an impact in my community. I want to make an impact in my world. But I forgot the source of power back home. I'll get to that later if I need it. I want to read. Turn with me if you would. To Jeremiah 32. If you're following along on the Bible app, it's there for you. Jeremiah 32. This account in the Old Testament. Some of the miracles that God did throughout Scripture. We need to stop and we need to reflect upon them. We need to really enjoy what God has done 
because it points to what God desires to still do today. Here's what the prophet Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 32. I'm going to read 17 through 21. Lord and King, speaking to God, you have reached out your great and powerful arm. You have made the heavens and the earth. Nothing is too hard for you. Somebody say amen. amen. Nothing is too hard for you. What's too hard for God? Remember that. Remember that. You show your love, God, to thousands of people, but you cause the sins of parents to affect even their children. Great and powerful God, your name is the Lord who rules over all. Your purposes are great, your acts are mighty, your eyes see everything people do. You reward each one of them according in, in keeping with their conduct, you do this based on what they have done. You perform signs and wonders in Egypt, and you have continued to do them to this day. You have done them in Israel and among all the people. You are still known for doing them. You brought your people, Israel, out of Egypt. Do you guys know that story? You did it with signs and wonders. Maybe I could take off about 20 minutes of my message. If you know the story of God delivering people from Egypt, you know that, Rachel. And if you do, well, I'm going to tell you anyway. You did this with signs and wonders. You reached out your mighty hand and your powerful arm. You did great and wonderful things. What is too hard? What is too difficult for God? Remember that. Remember that. See... I would, if I was a betting man, I would wager to bet that most of us believe that truth. Nothing's too hard for God. Nothing's too difficult for God. Nothing's impossible. God could do anything. But it's one thing to, be to, to, to believe it. It's another thing to live like we believe it. To walk day in and day out. To spring out of bed in the morning as if we're, we, we can conquer anything because we have God on our side to face every trial and every difficulty in our life with that kind of joy and that kind of hope to know that even when I'm in the depths, even when I'm in the valleys, that nothing is too difficult, nothing is impossible with God. we got to live like we believe it. And that's why I say we've got to pray with power so that we can live with power. Why don't we, though? Why don't we pray with power and live with power at all times? I'd, I'd say we've gotten too comfortable. But I, I really think it comes down to, to one of two things, maybe both of these things in each one of our lives. If we're not living and praying with power day in and day out, day after day after day, it's either because we have displaced trust. We're trusting solely in our own power. You ever do that? It's a natural tendency, natural drift for each one of us to trust in our own power, our own abilities, our own strength. But make no mistake. Make no mistake about this. Once you have come 
to the understanding, to the awareness that the God of all creation, the God of unlimited power, wants you to trust in Him alone, to trust in Him above all other things. Once you've come to that awareness and you're that understanding in your life, anything less of that is sinful. Anything less of that is sinful. I say we either have a displaced trust, that's why we don't pray and live with power day after day after day. Either we have a displaced trust or a misplaced trust. We have forgotten just how powerful God truly is. Church, I'm convinced that that's what Jeremiah meant. That's what he was referencing when he wrote in verse 18 of Jeremiah 32. You cause the sins of the parents to affect even their children. We gathered here, many of us, yesterday morning to reflect upon and to remember the, the wonderful life of a dear saint, Alice Baker. I know many of you know Alice, knew Alice. Many of your lives were touched and affected because of Alice's faith. And I'd say this, even if you don't know it, your life was, was, was touched by her prayer for you and for this church. And I read this, you cause the sins of the parents to affect even their children. What that means to me, in part, is that we've forgotten just how powerful God is because we're not living in that power. We're not living in reflecting upon the miraculous hand of God, the powerful hand of God at work in our life and in our church and in our community. And we're not going out day after day with these asks and these expectations and these imaginations, these dreams of what God could do because we've forgotten what God is capable of. As he emphasizes God's power, Jeremiah, he references the mighty signs and the wonders that God has performed as he led the Israelites out of Egypt. I don't think that's by coincidence. When Jeremiah says, you caused the sins of the parents to affect even their children. God, you did these miraculous things in the, in the desert, in Egypt, when you led your people out of Egypt, when you led your people into the wilderness, when you walked them through the wilderness. God, we've not forgotten how powerful you are. I asked before, do you know that story? I asked you this week to read Exodus 13. 14, Joshua 3 and 4. Even as I type that, friends. I typed that out on Facebook. A challenge is to read Exodus 13 and 14 and Joshua 3 and 4. And you know my thought as I type that out? Oh God, that's a lot of scripture. Four whole chapters. Maybe I should, maybe I should condense that and just say, why don't you read these two chapters? Why don't you just read this one chapter? See, and then I was convicted that that's what we've done. Church, that's what we've done. 
We've lessened the expectation of what it means to be committed to God. We've forgotten who God is. And we've passed that on to the next generation, and to the next generation, and to the next generation, until now, God is something that we can hold in a box, something that we can pay attention to on a Sunday morning, and then live our lives outside of the presence of God. Exodus 13 and 14, Joshua 3 and 4. Let me summarize this. God's people, the Israelites, they're living in Egypt. They're slaves. They're beaten. They're worked hard. And yet the people had held out this hope and this promise that God, who called them his people... He wanted to deliver them. He wanted to give them freedom. And so this guy came named Moses, right? We know Moses. Even if you've not read scripture, you've heard about Moses, I'm certain. Moses comes back to town, and a series of bad events, ten plagues, happen. The Egyptians, they weather the storm one after the other, after the other, after the other, until the tenth and final plague happens, the plague of the firstborn. The firstborn of all of the Egyptians, from the greatest to the lowest. And they're mourning and they're grieving. And the hand of God is recognized by them. And Pharaoh says, just get out of here. He lets all of the Israelites go. And they, they go into the wilderness. They're going to this land, this promised land of God. And they start to wander and march with victoriously. With They says they've plundered the Egyptians. They've got their, their, their gold on their backs. They've got their weapons. They're ready to go. And they're excited and God leads them through, the, through the, the desert. They think they're going right to the promised land. They've got this cloud before them by day. At night, a pillar of fire, it says, up in the sky leading them. They're marching victoriously, victoriously. And then they turn around and they see all the Egyptians coming. The chariots and the armies and the Pharaoh and the horses. And they're marching toward them. They start to push, push up. And crowd up, and then they realize that the Red Sea is all around them, right? We know this story, right? They start to complain, and Moses, what are we going to do? We're all going to die. Here they come. Why did God do this to us? Moses looks to God and says, God, what do you want me to do? God's response, why are you crying out to me? Just raise up your hand, raise up your staff. And Moses does it. And what happens? What? He parts the Red Sea. Are you kidding me? The Red Sea is part of the waters. Part way, it says dry ground is underneath. Did you know that under the, the, the oceans and under the seas, it's completely dry ground? Are you aware? I did not know that. The waters part. Wall of water on their right, wall of water on their left. They walk through victoriously. They're marching through, but the pillar of fire stands before them. It moves before them. It says the pillar of cloud moves to their rear. And it blinds. It just gives complete darkness to all the Egyptians. And God sends them into chaos. The wheels of their chariots are falling off all around them. This is an awesome story. 
march through, they get through, as they get to the other side of the Red Sea, God moves the cloud, the Egyptians start to march through, and what happens next? The water. It says it comes back to its original depth all around the Egyptians, all their chariots, all their armies, and all their horses. Drowned. Gone. Never to be seen again. And the Egyptian or the Israelites, they rejoice. God has delivered them. By his mighty hand, it says they stand in awe. They feared the Lord and they believed in him. At least for a couple of days. And then they need water and they need food. And God teaches them some lessons over how many years? 40. You didn't know you were coming to a class today. 40 years. For 40 years, he teaches them some lessons. And all of these lessons are about reflecting upon his mighty hand and giving him glory. Depending on him day after day after day. 40 years later, Moses, my servant, is dead. That's how Joshua begins. Not a very good uh, way to start. Now then you, Joshua, I've got some high expectations on you. Lead my people into the promised land. You mean these, this, this group of people who have been wandering around, this group of people who, who have been complaining, lead them into the promised land. So Joshua sets out. But before he does, he says this. He says, consecrate yourself. They, they, they gather together. They camp right outside the Jordan River. They can see the promised land across. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan River somehow. But when they get to the Jordan River, what they find is that it is at flood stage. This summary is taking longer. I could have just read the scripture, but I love it. It's at flood stage. I bet they were complaining that day. Joshua says, make camp. And consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing, miraculous, powerful things among you. They wake up the next morning. The priests take up the Ark of the Covenant, which is the, 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 the presence of God among the camp. They take it up, and it says, as the toes of the priest touch the water, the Jordan River, at flood stage, as it touches it, the water recedes. Miles on up to a town named, anybody know the town? I can't forget this. A town named, you won't forget this either, Adam. And it, it, it stops at a town near Adam, miles away, and they all walk through the Jordan River. Did you know it's dry, the base of the Jordan River too? It's really cool. Check that out sometime. Anyway, so they walk through the Jordan River, but as they're walking through the priest, they stop in the middle of the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, and they stand there as all of the people. Do you know how many people crossed? 400 people. Do you know that? It's a lot of people, isn't it? No, it's 40,000 people crossed the Jordan River. Some of you are like, yeah, that's a lot of people. 40,000 people crossed. And God says, wait, 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 before the, the, the priest move, pick up 12 stones, one for each of the tribe of Israel, pick up 12 stones and carry them with you, as if the weight of God on their shoulders wasn't enough. Now they're carrying 12 stones with them. They carry those to the other side, 
And as the priest stepped out of the water, the moment the last foot steps out, the water goes back to its original depth, to the flood stage. That's a powerful story. And then Joshua writes this, verse, chapter 4, verse 19. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan, and they camped at Gilgal, on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones that had been taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, listen to this, in the future... When your descendants, that's your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, all those that will come in the next generation, when they ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples on the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. That's you and me, all of the world, that we would know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that we would always fear the Lord our God. It's time we stop treating biblical accounts as if they're children's stories. It's time we stop acting as though we need to read those to our kids but not live as though those are reality. Like the, the same God that parted the Red Sea, the same God that drove the water of the Jordan River back so that his people could simply walk through. God could have led it another way. God could have, God could have kept the, the Egyptians from coming their way, but he didn't. It's time that we start writing down and sharing the accounts of how God is doing miraculous, awesome, powerful things in our lives. And we're sharing those and passing those down. We need to pray with power, friends, so that we can live with power, so that we can share with power. The people all around us, they need to know that we serve an almighty, powerful God. That nothing is impossible for him. The children, grandchildren, the future generation of this church, the future generation of the church, they need to hear us share and proclaim the truth of what God has done and is doing among us. I'll say it again, we need to pray with power so we can live with power. I started this series by asking a question. Do you want to see God move and do and accomplish big things in your life? Do you want to see God move and accomplish big things in your life? The only way God can move and accomplish big things in your life is if you have a relationship with him. Not a relationship that fell off a few years ago. Not a relationship 
by way of your parents or your grandparents. Well, they were good people. They worshipped. So I'm good. No, I mean an ongoing daily relationship. The only way we're going to see God move and accomplish big things in our life is if we're actually depending on God day in and day out with the big things that are going on in our life. See, God can't move and accomplish big things in our life unless we're, unless we're going to Him in the midst of the trials. People ask, well, why do bad things happen to good people? So that the glory of God might be revealed and that we would worship Him and we would know Him and we could point to Him and say, God, accomplish this in my life. Nothing is impossible for Him. Let this be a reminder. We need to pray with power. And we need to live with power every single day. Jesus' words, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power when I give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. I said Jesus ascended into heaven. Ten days later, the disciples, many others, about 120 people are sitting in the same upper room. Many scholars believe, people much, much smarter than me. The same upper room where Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples. These people are gathered together and they're praying and they're praying and they're praying. Ten days of prayer poured into this and the Holy Spirit rains down upon them. And they begin to accomplish, and they begin to see, and they begin to witness, and they begin to speak in ways that they had never spoken before. I was reading this morning from 1 Peter. Peter, a fisherman. Not very smart, not that he was dumb, but not very smart of a man. But God's, God, God was glorified through him because people looked at Peter and they said, Peter's just an ordinary fisherman. He's not very smart. But they took notice that Peter had been with Jesus. Do people look at you and take notice that you've been with Jesus? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. On you, in you. When the Holy Spirit begins to work through your life, through the joy of your attitude, through the love of your words, through the witness of your actions, people take notice that you have been with Jesus and they will give glory to the Almighty God. Let's start praying with power. Let's start living with power. Let's start witnessing with power. Let's, let's believe, friends, let's believe, church, that it is possible to see transformation come in and through this community. And that it begins with people like you and I submitting to the holy and almighty God. In which nothing is impossible. So I brought you a prayer today. We're going to close with this prayer, and I don't have it on the screen for you today, and that's by design. I'm going to ask you to pick up your newsletters again, and I'm going to give you a minute to find that prayer on your newsletter. I'd invite you to take that prayer home. I invite you to take that prayer home with you every day or every, every week. Take that prayer with you. 
pray that prayer at some point during your week. If you don't like that prayer, hey, no offense, don't tell me, okay? If you don't like that prayer, pray a different prayer. Pray for the power of God to come to fruition in your life. You find that? Let's pray together. Oh God, let your hand be with me. Jesus, I thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. Let the power of your Spirit fill me today. Send your Spirit before me to prepare my path and guide my way. Grant me the courage to let you be in full control and give me the confidence to walk in the power of your presence. Amen. Lord God, I pray today for your church. I pray, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would fall, fall, fall on a fre- in a fresh way. Fall upon us. Fill us, Lord Jesus, with your Holy Spirit. Lord God, that we would accomplish more in the mighty and glorious name of Jesus than we have ever accomplished before. That our eyes would be opened to the miraculous, to the powerful hand of God working in our world, and in our lives. We pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we close and give glory.